Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. Good morning, church family. Jesus is wonderful and merciful. I want to invite you to turn at the Bible to Matthew 26. As Teresa has already read uh, this morning's passage, we've had a few minutes to sit with it, even to worship in that context of thinking about Jesus' sacrifice for us there in the garden. That last song we just sang, Wonderful, Merciful Savior, has become one of my favorites since about the year 2015. Um, it's a favorite song of my mother-in-law, and she was working through cancer uh, that year, and um, I always think of her, and I always think of that year. Um, I think for all of us, some years are a little more intense than others. Is that fair enough? That was a very intense year <laughs> in my life. Um, but Jesus carries us through those seasons. As we think about the Garden of Gethsemane, I want to start by just inviting you to bring your circumstance today to Scripture by asking you, what is, your, what is the cry of your heart right now and... What's the cry of somebody else's heart around you? Who do you know near you who's walking through a season of loneliness or pressure or fear or hurt? Who do you know? It's always easier to think of ours, right? (laughs) But who do you know around you that is genuinely struggling today? I invite you to think about that. This past weekend, it's not hard to think of folks, am I right? Just in this past weekend, just in the past week, I talked to somebody whose uh, son is incarcerated, talked to somebody who's working through a very painful and difficult uh, custody arrangement and and the slow process of the legal system, talked to somebody whose son-in-law just lost, um, help me out, his mother, his father, thank you. And his mother is dealing with cancer at the same time. And they're helping to move him on Thursday. If you want to help move somebody on Thursday, would you write it on your card? How about that? Oh, yeah, you do. You got prayer cards right in front of you. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't plan that, just so you know. That's, that's like a feed right there. But I really mean it. Count me in, Buzz. Um, We've got a few people recovering from surgery today. Elvin Clarkson is in St. Al's Hospital this morning. I just learned. He took a fall. Um, I understand he's going to be okay. Hospital can be a lonely place to be. I have who I'm going to call a really close friend. I've only known him a few months, but he is waiting on tests um, for a very serious condition. That's hard. I want to invite you to think of somebody else's pain today. Can we do that? As we think about Jesus there in the garden at Gethsemane, we think of someone who understands loneliness. Somebody who understands grief. Somebody who understands betrayal. 
I want to frame my thoughts around Matthew 26, specifically the disciples with Jesus at the garden, around two words that I think are pretty obvious to notice in all of this. We need to plug back in the remote if we could do that. There it is. Um, Faithfulness and failure. There's an incredible contrast that Matthew offers to us in the way he presents this information. We can't miss it. It's a contrast between the faithfulness of Jesus in his sufferings and the failure of the disciples. No less than uh, three times are we going to read about failure and faithfulness. Maybe you're familiar with this. In Luke's gospel, as Luke describes the Garden at Gethsemane, he describes this phenomenon uh, medically that's known as hematridosis. It's a medical condition where blood vessels around the glands of sweat glands actually bleed into the sweat, and you sweat. Your sweat is mixed with blood. And it's interesting, of course, that Luke points that out because Luke is a medical doctor, as we know. In his gospel, he points this out. It just shows us the, the depth of suffering that Jesus endured for us, even at the garden. Of course, this is before the cross, and you know next week we are headed to the cross. And we're headed to Good Friday very shortly. But let's sit with Jesus in the garden for a few minutes this morning. Let's sit with the words that have been read over us and to us and with us in God's Word. I want to invite us to think about Jesus' faithfulness and our failures. There's the faithfulness here of our Savior, and there's the failure of what I'm going to call a family, and I'll explain that when we get to it. I want to invite you to think about faithfulness and failure. You'll have time to write down these references if you choose to do so, but three times we get the content of Jesus' prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane before he's headed for the cross. He knows what's ahead of him. And his prayer is consistent. It's the same thing every time. It's not my will, but your will be done. Talk about faithfulness. Jesus' willingness to endure betrayal, beating, and the cross for us. And then three times, again, I think Luke structure, or Matthew structures it very intentionally for us here. Three times, no less than three times, do we see the response to faithfulness of the disciples. You know what happens to them, right? They fall asleep. Lent is a harder season for all of us. It's a time when we think about the high price and the sacrifice that was given for our souls. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of loneliness in this world. I don't know if Jesus ever felt some of the human feelings we do, like maybe insecurity. His friends just left him. But I do know that the author of Hebrews says he was tempted in every way, 
And so the faithfulness of Jesus, I think, is intensified when we consider that those he should have been able to count on, those who should have noticed what's going on, let him down. And they fall asleep. Let's sit with a minute for the faithfulness of Jesus. Not as I will, but as you will. There's a couple of lessons I think we can hang on to in just thinking about Jesus in the garden just before he's handed over to those arresting him, struggling right after leaving the Passover table of celebration. And, and even that feeling of brokenheartedness as they walked away from that table, identifying that he's going to be betrayed. A couple of important lessons here. One I think we learn is this. You know, and even as we pray for other people who are lonely, our own circumstances, it's that prayer is not about what I'm going to get or how I'm going to convince God to do the thing that I want to do. We love it when he does that, right? We love it when he changes circumstances. But I think Jesus' prayer and this prayer that we're given the content of teaches us something maybe more important about prayer. What if prayer is primarily about aligning our will to his will? Not about figuring out how to get God to do something for us if we pray well enough or if we pray persistently enough or if we pray the right way. What if it's more about spending this time with Jesus in the garden, as it were, of suffering, and aligning our will with what his will is. Jesus is our perfect pattern, wouldn't you agree? We're to walk in his footsteps, as Peter says, and in his footsteps, where? To the cross. We're to suffer along with Jesus in this world. We don't like it. We'd rather be comfortable. We want good circumstances in the world. We wonder why suffering happens in the world. Some people claim that they don't believe in God because there is suffering in the world. Maybe you can believe in God because there is faithfulness in the middle of suffering in this world. And Jesus calls us to be faithful in our trials as a light and witness to others. That's Jesus' example. Here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's not praying for his own circumstance. He's saying, let your will be done most of all. And he's pouring out his heart to the Father. What an example for us. Are we praying that way about our burdens? Are we praying that way? And may God have mercy on us and change us. Amen. Prayer is about aligning to the Father's will. I think another thing we see in Jesus' prayer and his faithfulness he says, you need to stay awake, verse 41, lest you fall to temptation. Because the spirit is strong, but the flesh is weak. I really enjoyed this Lent period since late February, actually. Doesn't that seem like a long time ago? Four weeks ago was Ash Wednesday, four and a half weeks ago where as a church, many of us committed to pray together and to pray for our church. And some of you are experimenting with fasting. For others, it's old hat, and you're just doing it. You're doing it without food for a 24-hour period while you pray. I've really enjoyed the feedback from some on this. 
even the occasional, my wife called me and I was eating pizza and she said, aren't you fasting today? Oh yeah. <laughs> but that's part of it. I, I told my friend that told me this story, I said, that's part of it. You got the reminder. <laughs> Remember, the flesh is weak. <laughs> pizza good. <laughs> Habits. <laughs> and it isn't about being perfect. It, it, it's about letting God have more of us, more of our attention, more of our willingness to surrender before him. In a spirit actually of joy, when Jesus says when you fast, don't, don't go around with a big frown on your face. <laughs> There's joy in it or else I think we're doing it wrong. And to intentionally pray for certain things. I think this is the solution to our human weakness, our weakness as a church, our weakness as families, our weaknesses in our relationships with each other as friends, our weaknesses in our marriages, our weaknesses in our small groups and our ministries. We're weaker when we don't pray. We're more vulnerable to fall asleep. We're more vulnerable unless we're letting God make us uncomfortable. That's one great thing that fasting does. You get these triggers, time to pray. <laughs> For others, they fasted from social media on Wednesdays. Isn't that great? I know one person who's leaving their phone completely at home and going to work in Middleton, leaving it all day. It's like, wow. Because you realize how addicted you are to this stuff, <laughs> this this compulsion that you have. What did we ever do without cell phones? <laughs> Finding something that helps us to stay awake spiritually and to pray. Not just to fast for fasting's sake, but to pray. Do you see this as a solution to the weakness in your church? To pray. We're in a season of coming up with all kinds of ideas on how to help our church to be healthy and thriving. Maybe one of them ought to be prayer. What do you think? A pastor who's saying we should pray. What's the world coming to? <laughs> there it is. And are we committed to it? How was your prayer life this week? I have a friend, he actually used to be a pastor here, Earl Tixon, who was famous for saying, the average Christian's commitment to prayer is that of a kamikaze pilot on his 49th mission. Convicting? <laughs> Jesus teaches us the primacy and the priority of prayer in the garden. At the time that he needs resource the most, where does he go? He goes to the Father in prayer. Why is doing something like that our last resort and not our first answer? Simply to pray. Not as I will, but as you will. When I think about staying awake, Obviously, we understand what that meant for the disciples, right? They were sleepy. They had their feast of Passover. 
and they're tired. We picture them going out after dark into the garden at Gethsemane. And Jesus instructing them, stay awake and pray because Jesus knows what's going on and he's in anguish. And somehow in their slumber, they ignore Jesus' cries. That's the picture here. I want to talk about not only the faithfulness of Jesus, but I want to talk about the failure of a family in this. Because I think it's a key ingredient in what's going on at the Garden of Gethsemane. We always maybe only emphasize the prayer of Jesus, but, but I think equally important is the failure of people because it highlights the faithfulness of Jesus in the middle of that. It says three times in this passage that he found them sleeping after he told them to stay awake and to pray. The failure part, I think, is really easy to see. The failure part has to do with their dozing off. The family part, let me explain that a little bit, may not be as obvious to you. I'm going back to Matthew 12, where Jesus was talking to the crowd. His mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him, and someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside. They want to speak to you. And Jesus replied to them, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And there's something really important in this, isn't there? I believe the church is family. Do you? I think some people think that the church is compared to a family. But I believe the church is family. What do you think? Church has become a lot of things in our culture, right? It has to be family. The larger a church gets, the more we need to spend time in smaller groups. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> Maybe you'd prefer when it comes to your family to only look at the back of their heads once a week. I don't know. <laughs> but that's not family. Family hears you when you cry at midnight. Family's not too sleepy to notice. When I think of falling asleep in, in our day and age, I don't necessarily think of physical tiredness, although that's a reality. I think of it as distance. We don't go to the garden with Jesus to pray to begin with. We don't show up in environments where we're going to face each other. We don't spend that kind of time in circles, just rows. And so naturally, we, we don't know what the cry of somebody else's heart is. We, we can't hear it. But it's not only distance. I think it's busyness. I think there's an incredible slumber that our culture produces of just being distracted, of just being completely stressed out. There's so much going on in my life that I can't hear that the person right next to me is crying. I, 
I think that there's some really important lessons in this about the failure of a family. And it goes something like this. Our family will fail when we muffle the cries of others. There's a huge failure going on at the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Yes, there's a victory. Jesus ultimately wins the victory. And in his fully humanness, whatever that is, he asks for support. Could you please sit with me? Could you wait with me in my pain? I wonder what it was like for Matthew to record these words after the fact. Once he realized what Jesus was thinking about and praying about in the garden, if there wasn't any sense in which he realized what an enormous failure this actually was. To walk away from Jesus in his greatest type of need. And then, of course, there's the final four, so <laughs> that's pretty distracting, too. <laughs> Will you wait with Jesus in the garden? As a church, are we tuned in to the things that Jesus is crying about today? Do you believe there are things he cries about? Do you? Three weeks before Christmas in 1993 in Hamburg, Germany, Wolfgang Dirks died while watching television. His body was not discovered until five years later. None of the neighbors in his apartment complex noticed the absence of the 43-year-old. His rent continued to be paid automatically out of his bank account. When the money finally ran out five years later, the landlord entered Dirk's apartment to inquire. He found Dirk's remains in front of the tube. The TV guide in his lap was open to December 3rd, the presumed date of his death. Although the television had burned out, the lights, the Christmas lights on Dirk's tree were still twinkling away. Do you think, as Jesus who knows what's going on in this world, do you think he cries with these people when nobody else will? We who've become so inward somehow to our own concerns and our own fears and our own needs, that we're asleep. Oh, we're quite awake. <laughs> we're amped up. We're busy. <laughs> but we're also quite dead and quite asleep to the needs around us. We can no longer hear that there are cries at midnight everywhere in this world. And frankly, as a church, I, I don't really think people need better entertainment or fun and games. 
I think they need hearts who care and who develop a relationship and who listen and who empathize and make it safe to talk about their deepest concerns and fears without this, I mean, you know how we're categorized as judgmental as a church. We've got to figure out how to do this. I want to do this. I want to be part of a church that knows how to do that. How to reach those people. I had a pastor once tell me that the closer you get to Jesus, the more you'll care about evangelism. I mean, it, we can walk away from the garden and ignore it. We can sleep on a soft bed. But I believe Jesus is there. And I believe he's praying for those around us who need him so much. I pray that we never lose earshot. When we muffle the cries of others, I think that's where we're done. I think the truth is you and I are the short-term solution for loneliness. If you like the story about Wolfgang Dirks, how about this one? In 1990, Japanese businesswoman Satsuki Ohiwa founded an unusual enterprise. Noticing that many elderly Japanese were increasingly isolated from their children by the frantic pace of contemporary life, Ohiwa set up a company through which a lonely person could actually rent a family. For only $1,130, she said, we will arrange for a surrogate son, daughter, grandchild, whatever relative you want, to show up at your door and gush as if they haven't seen you in years. They'll share lunch with you, spend a few hours talking, handle an odd job or two if you like, and then bid you the best of days. This is from Christianity Today. I'll continue reading. The idea would be almost comical if it weren't for the fact that thousands of people hired Ohiwa's service. When they asked why she believed her business had taken off, Satsuki said, what is common about our clients is that they are thirsty for love. They all had reached some dark hour of their life, cried out in whatever ways they knew how to the people from whom they wanted love then finally picked up the phone and called the professionals. We're not going to end loneliness in this world. The end all of all loneliness is God. One day in eternity, all tears will be wiped. Someday. All of the crying in the gardens that we endure will be over with. Aren't you glad? Yes. And until that day, you and I, we are the solution. Yes. 
with a short-term solution to point people in the right direction? Or are we sleeping? I want to leave you with an encouragement. Jesus understands our loneliness. Aren't you glad? We had a beautiful experience last Wednesday. We've been opening the sanctuary for prayer Wednesday nights. And someone had spoken with me about a pretty serious issue. And I was so delighted to say, you know, if you like, you could come by tonight. And I feel like we had a good garden experience. This person sat right over there. And after spending several minutes in Thanksgiving prayer, with their blessing, this person shared. We surrounded her, placed hands on her, prayed with her. I shared with you just a couple of weeks ago how important it is not to suffer alone, right? Still got that. We still got to get out there and initiate. And in, in many ways, we're as lonely as we choose to be. I think that's true. Jesus didn't give up on the disciples. He tried three times. Isn't that great? I think we need to do the same thing. But I think what this person found, and, and they told me afterwards in glowing terms how they felt and how important that was and what good step they were going to take because of the courage they found by just having somebody pray with them. This does happen to be a person who lives alone. And it's somebody we love. It's somebody who's here. It's somebody we care for. But are we paying attention? I want to leave us in a few minutes of prayer and silence and waiting. I want to invite the Spirit to speak to us personally. He knows the cry of your heart. He knows the cry of somebody else's heart who is near you. I'm glad that you can hear it. Pray the Spirit directs us and what to do with it. If you hear something that you believe is for everybody to hear, please come to the microphone, be obedient, and share it. This part of the service is not shared online, just shared in-house. And whether we spend these moments in silence and waiting and listening individually, or whether otherwise, let's listen for God to direct us in these moments. And let's give him our full attention.